0: Let's start with this. Look at this picture. (laughs) Now, y'all laugh uh, because you have a reaction to that. You have opinions about that. You have emotions about that. But let me just tell you, that's weird. Look at the picture. All that is is a picture of one well-dressed, successful man walking away from another well-dressed, successful man and walking off the stage. That's all that is. Why Why'd you respond like that? And the, the reason is because you know what came before, right? You know there's a context to that picture that it fits into a story that before that there was a G.I. Jane 2 comment and a little smackety smack, right? And then that's what happened. That's what happened. Okay. Let me show you another snapshot, and this one comes from the Bible. So here it is in John chapter 1, verse 29. You have John the Baptist Uh, And this is when Jesus starts his ministry. And so John the Baptist, let's read it. It says, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's weird. Don't don't take that like lightly. Like that's a really weird comment That, that ought to make us scratch our head. He just called a grown man a lamb. That's weird. Imagine after this service, I'm out in the south atrium here. Pastor Jared comes walking through, and I pointed him, and I declare, Behold, the platypus. I, I don't know. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> the platypus who cheers for the squealers. Weird, right? Weird on two counts. One that he cheers for the squealers. But where did I call him a platypus? There's no... Like, that's just Weird. There's no context, no sense there. But listen, when John the Baptist called Jesus a lamb, there was a ton of context. And just like the picture of Will Smith walking off that stage, if you know what comes before, it makes complete sense. It gives meaning to it. To appreciate calling Jesus the lamb, you need to know what came before. And I mean like more than 1,500 years before. So we're going to get in the wayback machine. We're going to dial that thing back. And we'll start here. God, the one true God, the only God, chose the Israelites as his covenant people. Okay, now what's that mean? Well, that means that he chose that among the peoples of the earth, he would uniquely reveal himself who he is to them. For example, he told them his proper name, Yahweh, the great I am. So he would reveal himself to them. And then it was their job to trumpet that to all the peoples of the earth. They were his chosen people. But then they had a problem. Famine came across the land, all the lands. And so Israel didn't have food. Now Egypt had seen it come and they stockpiled food. So Israel went down and lived in Egypt so that they might eat. And at first, they had a very good relationship. But over time, Israel started to thrive and grow. So it's not just like a few families. We're talking like a people group, a nation of people living inside another nation. And as Israel grew in size and strength, Egypt became very, very threatened by that. So you know what they did? They turned them into slaves. Egypt enslaved. It was harsh, racist slavery for 400 years. They enslaved the Israelites. Now, they're God's chosen people, but they're going, what the heck, God? Like, they're starting to lose faith and confidence in God. And God has compassion on them, and he also wants to reaffirm to them exactly who he is. And so he calls Moses. Now, you probably recognize his name, right? So God raises up Moses. He's going to be the guy that would lead Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, lead them to the land promised to them. Call that the promised land. And so to do that, God sends Moses to Pharaoh. Now, Pharaoh is the emperor of Egypt. So Moses goes to him and says, Hey, God said you have to let his people go. (laughs) Pharaoh's like, shut up. All right? Well, okay, he says it actually like this Exodus chapter 5, verse 2. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? Now that's weird. It's in all caps, right? Okay, listen. When, when it does that, that's an indication that it's not the word Lord. It's actually the proper name of God, Yahweh. Okay? And so Pharaoh's like, Who is this Yahweh? that I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I do not know Yahweh, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. See, in Egypt, they had their own little G gods, lots of them, that they worship false gods. And and so he's like, listen, we got our own gods. I don't know this Yahweh chump, and I am not going to obey him. We kind of like having slaves. No, no. No. Well, that will lead then to the plagues. Maybe you've heard of these plagues. So here's a a graphic of them and you can see what some of those were. Now, uh, don't misunderstand. It's not like all those plagues came at once. But what happened is Moses and Pharaoh get into this dance, this rhythm. And so God sends Moses to Pharaoh and Moses says, let them go. Pharaoh says, no. Moses says, well, then God's saying this one plague is going to be coming at you. And Pharaoh's like, whatever, like bring it on, I don't care. Uh, And and then the plague du jour hits, and and then Pharaoh's like, oh my goodness gracious, and you guys can go. And then Pharaoh reneges, and he changes his mind, he makes it so that he can't really leave slavery. And then hit repeat. And that, that cycle just keeps going on all throughout each one of those plagues successfully, successively. Now, as you look up at those plagues, you might go, some of those are kind of weird, right? Like frogs? <laughs> what the, okay, th- okay, think about this. Right now, uh, unfortunately, Russia is doing horrible things in Ukraine, right? And they're at war. What if the Ukrainians get together and go, I oh, know, we got a plan. We're going to flood Russia with frogs. Use missiles like like frogs? Come on, are you serious? What is that? That's just weird. Here's what you need to understand. Each one of those plagues was targeted at one of the false gods of Egypt. It showed Yahweh's dominance over those domains. I don't have time to break them all down, but I'll give you an example. If you look at the bottom right there, it's darkness. Okay, what was that? Darkness came over the land for three days. Which is, that's inconvenient, but... We just call that Alaska. Right? Like, like that's, that's just, what's the big deal there? Well, listen, one of Egypt's top gods was the sun god, Ray, who represents Pharaoh himself. And here is Yahweh saying, He does not control the sun, I do. Pharaoh's not God, I am. You see that? There is content being, being delivered here. See, the plagues are not just to compel Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. The plagues are designed for revelation about who Yahweh is. In fact, before the plague of the locusts, here's what God said to Moses Exodus chapter 10, verse 2 says this And that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them. That, here it is, here's the reason, that you may know that I am the Lord. It's so that they would know their God. And nonetheless, Pharaoh keeps jacking with the Israelites. He keeps thumbing his nose at God. He's already had them in this racist, harsh slavery for 400 years. So these plagues go on and on in succession. One plague after another. Well, actually, if you're an astute biblical scholar, maybe you notice one of the plagues is missing. That's only nine. There were actually ten. Here's the original graphic. And so that now includes the last plague you see in the bottom right there. Now, it's not the inconvenience of darkness for three days. It is the death of the firstborn. And that's a horrific, horrific thing. God warns that in this plague, uh, the death of both the firstborn of beasts, meaning livestock. So this is going to be economically very devastating. But also the death of the firstborn in human families. Now, some of you have experienced the death of a child. Horrific thing, right? Uh, We know parents shouldn't bury their children. It's a devastating, devastating thing. Could you imagine if tomorrow morning, think of all the families represented in our congregation right now. Tomorrow morning, every one of these families has a dead child. What if every family throughout our city What if every family throughout our state? I mean, this is horrific. This is horrific. Now, know this though. God not only pronounced a death sentence that is coming, but he would provide the way of escape. And the way of escape had to do with a, wait for it, not a platypus, a lamb. It had to do with a lamb. So let me show it to you out of Exodus chapter 12. God is going to tell that each and every little family would sacrifice a lamb. Uh, Let's look. Starting in chapter 12, verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Skip to verse 11. In this manner shall you eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Now you see how it got its name, Passover. But can you imagine that experience for an Israelite boy or girl? So so they're standing there watching dad do this. And that would just be weird. Like, dad, what are you doing? I'm saving your life, kid. Dad, that's just weird. How is putting blood around the door going to save my life? Let's trust me and trust Yahweh. Now hold the bowl higher and shut up. Because he's a dad, right? (laughs) That's probably what he would say. (laughs) Then the next morning, throughout the entire nation of Egypt, didn't matter Israelite or Egyptian, every household, every household had a dead lamb or a dead child. Everyone. And just imagine the wailing throughout the whole country. And imagine how that Jewish kid felt the next morning when he woke up. Dad was right. God was right. I almost died last night. Thank God for that lamb. Thank God for that lamb. And unless this sounds harsh to you, listen, don't forget something. Remember, this was 400 years of racist, harsh slavery. Remember that God asked nicely. Remember that God sent nine plagues that were like low shelf things trying to compel Pharaoh to let them go. Remember that Pharaoh would say yes and then he would renege. And remember that God provided a way of escape. And that's Passover. Now, what can we learn from Passover? Well, two things. First of all, the lamb died in their place and it was all by grace. Listen, listen. It wasn't that the Egyptians were bad and the Jews were good. That wasn't the deal. Being Jewish wasn't enough. You had to to have the lamb's blood on your doorpost. And for any Egyptian family that put the the lamb's blood on the door, they were saved. You, You see that? It wasn't a question of Jew or Egyptian, it was a question of, were you covered by the blood of the lamb? That was the question. And it didn't matter how nice your house was. You might have had the nicest door and the nicest doorpost. God doesn't care. He's looking for the lamb's blood on those doorposts. And and notice, God didn't check who was in the house. How nice are those people? Are they worthy? He didn't look for that. He looked for the blood of the lamb. In fact, if you are paying close attention, God did inspect, encourage us to inspect, but it wasn't people. Did you catch it was the lamb? Like it says in there that uh, the lamb had to be without blemish. The people didn't get inspected, the lamb did. So the only question is, are you covered by the blood of the lamb? Doesn't matter Jew or Egyptian, doesn't matter if you're nice or naughty. It's going to be this, who's going to die, you or the lamb? That's the question. So the lamb died in their place and it was all by grace. And the second thing we see in Passover is this, the Lord led them to freedom. Did you notice as we read through Exodus 12 that they were instructed how to dress? They were supposed to have their belts on, their sandals on their feet, staff in hand. They were dressed for travel. Why were they dressed for travel? Well, remember the goal. The goal was God was leading them to freedom. God was leading them out of slavery. It wasn't just that the Jews would live through the night. It was that the Jews would live in freedom. That's a different thing. He didn't just want them to live. He wanted them to live. He didn't want them to be alive and in bondage. He wanted them to be alive and in freedom. He was leading them out. So he said, sleep with your sandals on. Sleep with your sandals on. We got somewhere to go. Now, that happened about more than a thousand years before Jesus was incarnate and walked the earth and did his ministry and all that stuff, okay? But for the Jews, the Passover would not be a one and done thing. They were actually commanded to celebrate that annually. And it became their biggest annual religious celebration. It's a really big deal For the Jews. In fact, before that fateful night ever happened, God told Moses that it had to go down this way year after year. Like, look at this Exodus 12, verse 14. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. And so, Passover was celebrated by every Jewish family, every year, over and over, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Each family, back in that time, would sacrifice a lamb. The lamb's blood would be given in sacrifice to the Lord, so they would be covered by the lamb's blood, and then they would receive the meat of the lamb, and that would become the central part of that feast, of that meal. What that meant then is the entire nation of Israel all ate in their own homes as gathered as extended families. They ate the same meal on the same day. Does that sound like anything in the American experience? It's Thanksgiving, right? Isn't that what we do? We all gather as extended families in our homes and we all eat the same thing on the same day for the most part. Some of y'all don't eat pumpkin pie and you're freaks and you need to repent. right? (laughs) Quit dissing pumpkin pie, right? Some of you, my uh, brothers and sisters of color, uh, you all eat mac and cheese on Thanksgiving, and I love you, but I don't get that. I love mac and cheese, but Thanksgiving, come on, right? But that's your thing, and that's okay. Or, or my wife, okay, let me tell you something. Um, Shannon doesn't like Turkey. So I, I fry the turkey and she does everything else because we hit a point in our marriage. One Thanksgiving, the woman made Cornish hens. We almost got divorced. Right? Like it, was, it was close, right? So, so listen, the point is that like, yeah, we eat different things, I get that. But for the most part, we all eat the same meal on the same day. But for the Jews, it was much more than that. It wasn't just a national holiday. This is their biggest religious Celebration. This is a remembrance of what God did for them. That God by grace provided a lamb so they didn't have to die, and then he led them to freedom. And so the elements of that meal were mandated, especially that they had to eat lamb. Because it was the lamb or us, the lamb or us. And for centuries, Year after year, century after century, they did it over and over and over and over. And it was never finished. Never finished. And then Jesus came. And John the Baptist points at him and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now it makes sense. That's the Background to the picture, the snapshot of John calling Jesus the Lamb. That's why. And so, if Jesus is the Lamb of God sacrificed, when was Jesus sacrificed? If you say Easter, I will go Will Smith on you. Okay? (laughs) No. Passover. Jesus was sacrificed at the Passover, go figure. In fact, the night before he was crucified, he gathered with his disciples in that upper room to celebrate what we call the Last Supper, but what they called the Passover meal. And and what he did during that time is he reinterpreted the elements of the Passover into what we as Christians celebrate to this day, communion, where the bread uh, celebrates or remembers the broken body of our Lord, And then the cup symbolizes the shed blood of the Lamb of God. That's what communion is. Now interestingly, if you read the accounts of the Last Supper carefully, there's actually no mention of them eating lamb. Whoa, time out. The lamb was the most important central part. Where the heck is the lamb? He's sitting right there. And his name is Jesus and on the very next day, he would go to the cross as the Lamb of God and be sacrificed for them. And when Jesus died in our place for our sins, we know it's either the Lamb or us. It's the Lamb or us. Interesting side point. Um, Jesus' bones were never broken. <laughs> okay, that's a weird one, right? Where did that snapshot come from? Let me explain something about crucifixion. Crucifixion is tailored designed for a long, torturous death. As they nail you to that cross, what happens is you slowly suffocate. And so what you do is, as you can't draw breath, you push up. So painful because of all the nails. You're pushing up on the nail through your your flesh. You push up, you draw breath, and slump back down. And you keep doing that until your body gives out, and you can't push up, and you suffocate slowly. But the the problem the Jews had is the Sabbath was coming the next day. And so they went to the Romans like, hey, can we speed this thing up? And the Romans had a way of speeding things up. They go up to the person being crucified, wham, break their legs. Now you can't push up to grab a breath and you suffocate a little bit more quickly. When they came to Jesus, they found that Jesus was already dead. Right? So they ran a spear up through his body into his heart and blood and water flowed he's dead which means though they broke the legs of the criminals on either side of jesus being crucified they never broke jesus legs but who cares john 19 is so explicit about the fact they never broke jesus legs who cares okay you got to know what came before that picture If you look in Exodus chapter 12, verse 46, it commands that each and every family, when they slit the lamb's throat and take its blood, that they would never break any of its bones. There it is. He's the Passover lamb. Well, okay, listen. Is this just inference and innuendo? Am I making much hay about nothing here? 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. For Christ, the Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. But why? How many of you are Jews living in slavery in Egypt right now? Well, who cares? Why? All right. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 to 19. Knowing that you, you, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. We're being rescued from something. What? Listen, in our first parents, Adam and Eve, all of humanity... Us include. We were represented in them in the Garden of Eden when God said, listen, don't rebel against Yahweh for if you do in that day, you will die. And we all went there. In them, we went there. We all go there. And what that means is death flooded into the perfect creation. And so we have brokenness and depravity and spiritual separation and relational disharmony. We've got a mess. We've got eternal death. We all have that problem. It's the human condition and it has been inherited. It has been passed down generation to generation. Each and every one of us owe God a death penalty and none of us can fix it. You know what we need? We need somebody to ransom us. We need somebody to stand in for us. We need a savior, Jesus the lamb. It's the lamb or us. The lamb or us. And you will either be dead eternally or you will be covered by the blood of the lamb. And that's Easter. It's not about a bunny. It's about a lamb. How many of you saw that line coming? <laughs> Cheesy is all get out, I to admit, right? No bunny died for you. That one's mine, right? No, no bunny died for you. The lamb died for you. It's not about a bunny. It's about a lamb. That's what it's all about. So what? Well, let's take a fresh look at Passover. Passover, the lamb died in there. Nope, scratch that. The lamb died in our place, and it's all by grace. Now, there are some differences to Passover. So, for example, the lambs, all those lambs year after year went unwittingly to their death. They had no idea what was coming at twilight. By contrast, Jesus, the lamb of God, the final lamb, He went knowingly, willingly, lovingly, died in our place. Another difference is all those lambs died. Period. End of story. Not Jesus. That's the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the Son of Man, God in the flesh, you do not keep him down, and he rose in victory. So there are some differences. But there are some similarities. God is not inspecting your life. He already knows you're broken. God doesn't have to look. He knows you're broken. He knows you are condemned to death. And so instead of inspecting you, he inspects the lamb. And he says, Jesus, the lamb of God is worthy. He's worthy. Absolutely. And so God only wants to know, are you covered by the blood of the lamb? Because it's going to be Jesus or you. Jesus or you. Which is why, by the way, this quote drives me nuts. Maybe you've seen this in social media. When people bring up your past, tell them Jesus already dropped the charges. Now, I think it's very well intentioned, and I know it resonates with a lot of you emotionally. I understand why I get that, but know this Jesus never dropped the charges, He died in your place. That's way different. And it matters, and here's why. If Jesus dropped the charges, then I'll tell you what, you better work really hard to please God, to stay in his favor, to make sure he's happy with you, because at any moment, he could repress those charges. Well, what about the sin you're going to do tomorrow? Maybe he'll press charges on that one, and you're screwed. What are you going to do? Don't worry about it. He didn't drop the charges. He died in your place. And that is why the Lamb of God, as he hung on the cross, could say, it is finished. He inspects the Lamb, not you. He didn't drop the charges. He paid them on the cross on your behalf. And so, the Lamb died in our place all by grace. And then secondly, the Lord led them. Oh, nope, scratch that. The Lord led us to freedom. Now if you remember with the Jews, it wasn't just that they would live through the night, he wanted them to live in freedom. He didn't want them to just live, he wanted them to live. That they wouldn't just escape death and live in bondage, but they would live in freedom. And that's what it was all about. So sleep with your sandals on. We got somewhere to go. And so it is with Jesus. J- hear me. Jesus does not just want to save you from death. He wants you to live in freedom. The Lamb of God did not die for you so that you would live in slavery. And if we're honest, most of us live in slavery of some kind. It might be slavery to heroin or alcohol or sexual addiction. I don't know. Maybe it's selfishness or people-pleasing. Maybe you just feel worthless all the time and all you hear in your head is you're a loser. You're a loser. You're a loser. That's slavery. Maybe it's some mental stuff that you wrestle with, anxiety or depression or body image, eating disorder, self-harm. I don't know. What I won't do is suggest that you just pray this prayer and all will be better. Nope. But I know that the Lamb wants to be your Lord and lead you to freedom. He did not die so that you could remain a slave. Remember, they ate the Passover meal dressed to travel. When we worship the Lamb of God, we ought to have our running shoes on because we got somewhere to go. We're on the move. You've heard me say before that God has enough compassion to receive you just the way you are. But he also has enough compassion to not leave you like that. That's the two points. The first one is God has compassion to receive you just the way you are. The second one is he's not going to leave you a slave. He wants you to experience kingdom life. Not just that you would live through the night, but that you would live in freedom. And some of you, I know you're in some really tough chapters right now. But God wants to write new chapters in your life. That you would not only avoid eternal death, but you would experience eternal life. And listen, eternal life is not something that starts later starts now. Kingdom life now. Freedom in Christ now. And so I wonder if this Easter would start the journey for you. That you would be following the Lamb to freedom. He doesn't just want to be the Lamb. The Lamb wants to be your Lord and lead you out of slavery. And don't look to Pharaoh. He's not going to help you. And don't look to yourself. You've tried year after year and it doesn't work, does it? Fortunately, the Lamb can be your Lord. And that is Easter. And that is Passover. And what happened is John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Hopefully that makes a little bit more sense now. Let me pray for you. Father, if we're honest before you, there's something in our lives that has us under its thumb. And we often live as if slaves. Father, we want to rejoice as a church family that death was arrested, that, that you saved us from death that night, from death eternally. We are saved by the lamb dying in our place. But Lord God, you didn't do that so we could live as slaves. And would this be a time for everyone in this room that they would be in the process of being led by the lamb as their Lord to a life of freedom. Take us there, Lord, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.